You're out of your fucking mind. My crap screen made that play. Watch out! He's got get away from the top speed! Everybody just do your job! Let's stand it! And overcome the adversity on the field! Get ready for the pain, boy! The pain pain is coming! Alright guys, this is College Fantasy Freaks, wrap up of week one, been a huge weekend. Josh, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm great. Uh, there was a lot of disappointments this week, a lot of good news, um, some frustrating things, but you know you know how week one goes. So You know, Sorry. beyond all the disappointments, for everyone out there, we do not have Kirby with us tonight. We were hoping he'd be able to make it, but hopefully next week we'll get him. Um, but beyond that, we are going to have me and Josh on tonight, um, and there is a lot to go through. So this show might go a little bit longer than normal, but we're going to have a lot of great information for you. Um, so Josh, why don't we start out with one of your, I know one of your favorite weeks from the weekend. Why don't you start with the first one to touch on? Yeah, the, the West Virginia Virginia Tech game last night it was a lot of fun to watch. It was probably one of the top two most exciting games outside of Texas A&M and UCLA. And um, I think the the biggest fantasy development from it is that West Virginia really likes to pass the ball this year, and they they did, don't run it as much as they did last year. They they like to run the the draw late in the game, and that should help Justin Crawford going forward. But this wide receiver situation is. Um, a lot to wrap your head around with with the uh, suspension of Sims and the uh, the kind of game that Jennings put up when they moved him inside to replace Sims on the outside. They switched Sills to the outside from the inside, and that's confusing, but that's what people are going to have to go through when they decide to put in their waivers this week. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that situation. Um, personally, I still like Karan White as their number one receiver when Sims comes back. I expect him to replace Sills on the outside, and I expect, expect Sills to replace Jennings inside. See, I've been saying it since spring. Um, I said it through the draft, and hopefully I'm recorded saying it. I'm still in the Sills camp. I really believe he and Greer have a connection, and no matter where they move him inside, outside, uh, I think he's going to be the guy. Um, he had a great game. They, I predicted that they were going to be throwing it more this year. I think Greer is the best quarterback they've had in a long time, if not ever. Um, and in reality, the biggest surprise to me for the game wasn't so much the wide receivers. Yes, they did great. They moved around different positions. Um, but I sat Crawford in our Dynasty League. I thought that Virginia Tech was absolutely going to swallow him up. And although he didn't have a monster game, he, he outperformed what I figured. Um, and, I mean, Virginia Tech has a great defensive seven. Um, they are a stout defense no matter what. So I was impressed with West Virginia really on, on all sides of the ball, despite the fact um, that they walked away with a loss. Yeah, I think they'll be one of the most fantasy-relevant teams this year. Um, I have Sims, Sills, and White on my team because I'm unsure of who's going to be their number one wide receiver or if they're all going to be fantasy-relevant right now. Um and another note, um, White was covered by their best cornerback, so I think that's why there was some tight coverage, and he had some drops on some some good pass breakups. That's so. a, yeah, those drops were. I I think White has the athletic capabilities. I don't know if it was game one jitters or what it was, but those drops really reinforce even further for me. White is in, I believe it's the, the Z position. He should. He's where his brother was. He should be the number one. Um, but I, I still am going with Sills here, it's top to bottom. I've got. I'm all in on Greer. I'm all in on Sills, and I'm going to stay that way. And on the other other team, um, their wide receiver situation is a little bit clear. They have Cam yeah. Phillips, who is is really good, 
and Josh Jackson got on the ball a lot. And their running back game, um, they, they ran three different running backs. Uh, people started, but he wasn't really – he didn't do anything that, that fantastic. Um, but Josh Jackson did on the ground. He picked up the slack, and he's going to be better than I was expecting. He feels right in in that um, that role that Paxton Lynch played, played a couple of years ago that, that um, when he was as dominant as he was. And I think if you own Josh Jackson, then – you're going to get that kind of game going forward a lot. So, Virginia Tech, not quite as many players that are going to be fantasy relevant. You have Josh Jackson and you have Cam Phillips, but they're going to be, you know, top ten players at their position. Yeah, I mean, I I got Cam Phillips in Dynasty. I got him in a trade right before week one in our redraft league, so I, I'm a big fan. I think he's going to be huge. My only fear for Virginia Tech is the fact that they have their one bit of evidence so far is the fact that they played West Virginia, who returns three defensive starters. So it could be, uh, you know, a, a singular drop. It may not turn into a lot. I, I think, though, that they're going to put up... They're only going to get better as the year goes on. So although West Virginia doesn't have an amazing defense, I do think Virginia Tech's offense is going to get stronger and stronger. And um, the best game of the week probably was... was Texas A&M and UCLA with that an incredible comeback. And uh, if you're an Aggie fan, then you might want to mute this part of the conversation. But, yeah, what did ESPN uh, say? It was the number two worst choke in history? Uh, it's, it, I, I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, it was painful. It was, it was something to watch, and you kind of like just felt it. When they, when they got the, when they got down by only, um, I think they were down by 13, it was 44-31, I believe, you just kind of knew that somehow UCLA was going to win the game. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Josh Josh Rosen had about the, the best second half of football I've ever seen. Yeah, he put, he pulled oh, a, a full Tom Brady out. I mean, that was the Tom Brady of college football, if you're ever going to see it in terms of that turnaround play. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge Sumlin fan. I don't think it could have. Yeah, it probably could have happened to a better or in this case, worst coach, um, but it didn't really surprise me. Going into the game, I, I kind of figured one of these coaches is going to get fired this season. Who's going to, who wants to give it away the best uh, or the most? And someone obviously wanted to lose uh, worse than Mora did, without question. And then now they, they lost Starkle for the year. He broke his ankle. He had surgery today. So they have Kellen Mond as their starting quarterback, which honestly, you have Jake Kubinak on the bench. I, I don't know how he's worse than Kellen Mond, who I have never seen a quarterback at the collegiate level play as bad as Kellen Mond did. I would argue J.J. Constantino may be right there with him from FSU. That is that is a painful subject for me, but they may go hand-in-hand hand with the worst quarterbacks ever. Oh, it was so it was so bad. And, and they just kept letting him throw the ball. <laughs> I, I don't know what they were thinking. They'd have been better off going with a triple option or, or a, a read option the entire game. But, but Keith Ford and Travion Williams had... Both monster games. I think they combined for almost 320 rushing yards and four touch, five touchdowns. Um, yeah, that that game had a lot of fantasy relevance on both sides of the ball, which we'll get into in a bit. We're going to talk about you know waiver wire pickups, um, sit sit starts, things like that. Um, so for the sake of your length of listening to this, Josh, why don't we hit on the next few games a little bit quicker? Um, then we get into the real meat and potatoes here with the actual players. All right? Yeah, um, we have. Uh, LSU showed that they were really good on the defensive side of the ball. Pretty usual. A lot, lot more com- confident on the offensive side of the ball. They were efficient on the ball. They ran a lot more than they, they passed it. So if you have LSU, you have Darius guys in your team, you're going to like that going forward. Um, they should 
do pretty well this year, I think. Um, and I know this is going to be a sensitive game for you, the uh, Florida State Miami game. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, off that one. you know that's one of those things you just got to get it off your chest. You got to talk about it. So I know I just said we'll speed it up, but I feel like this is a bit cathartic. So I'll get it out. Um, you know, the first half of that game for anyone who didn't watch, and for anyone who did watch, that was an incredible first half of football. When you know Florida State was down 10-7, they were lining up to for a field goal to tie it right before half. I thought we're going to get this field goal. Then we're going to get the ball back at the half, and we're going to play Bama for four strong quarters, and no matter what happens, we're going to the playoffs. This is it. This is amazing. Um, we get the field goal blocked, then we got a punt blocked, then we had an interception, then an interception, and then so many things, my brain has kind of blocked it out. Um, and then DeAndre Francois uh, tore his patellar tendon. So that is, Florida State went from being in it with the number one to an absolute trouncing. It just got bad really quick. And the hardest part for me, I'll say, beyond the the lack of fantasy relevance, for the most part, stuff on FSU side, um, was that Florida State was in it. And they just, their special teams play was so horrific. Keith Gavin really walking it back into the end zone, then coming back out. There's just no excuse. And our, I hate to, I know Bama fans are going to say, no, we dominated you everywhere. You can think that. But Florida State gave that away. And Alabama is so good that they readily took it and they ran with it. And we had no business in that second half being on a high school football field, let alone against Alabama. I wish I uh, got a chance to watch more of this game. I was all laddered up with Shea Butter from watching the Shea Patterson. Ooh, ooh, um, let's hear it. But first, I, I turned on this game, and that's when everything went down for Florida State. So I wish I would have got to see how they were playing in the like, early part of the game because I know they had to be doing a lot better. But, um, yeah, that old Miss game was something, and they, they, have, they, have, they have so much going for them in that passing game. And um, You know, for as um, much as they have going for them in the passing game, their defense is horrific. Yeah, and that's uh, great news for me. Uh, <laughs> I have A.J. Brown in, that, in, our, in our Dynasty League, so... You know, I, I'm not going to complain about that. They're going to have to outscore everybody they play. And uh, it's, it's a similar situation to Missouri, honestly. It's it's almost identical. And Mississippi State was better on defense this week, but will probably resort to that level of defense. So in the in the, in the the SEC, you have a few teams this year that, that it's going to be like they're in the Big 12, but they just have to outscore everybody. So there's going to be a ton of fantasy-relevant players in the, in the SEC. So that's that's something to look forward to, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, the Louisville Purdue game, um, Louisville struggled a lot. They continued with how they left off last year. Yeah. Um, Purdue looked better with Brom as their coach, and they should have some fantasy relevant plays in the passing game now. Whereas before they had some in the running game, maybe, but not so much in the passing game. Um, South Carolina, North Carolina State, that was... Hold on, before we get there, the one thing I did want to touch on is, although the fact that he had a 40-plus point game, yes, it was a very solid game. Anyone would have loved to start a quarterback to get these points. I thought Lamar Jackson's um, production was, although, yes, he rushed for 100-plus yards, it was so vanilla compared to what everyone expects from, yeah, I'm taking him first overall in every single draft. And that was one of the players, you know, you and I were talking about, that we expect there'd be some regression. Um, and for him to get 40-some-odd points in week one, I know people were expecting a lot more, especially against Purdue. Um, but when you're taking more snaps under center, this is the type of stuff that happens, especially with their semi-weak offensive line. It's I just don't think, and I think you were right and I was right, he's not going to put up the numbers like he did last year, especially with everyone, you know, gaming specifically 
specifically for him, trying to take his ability out of the game. And I think his days of 80-point games might be behind us. Yeah, and he came on later in the game, but he struggled in the beginning. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we warned against. And hopefully you heeded to our advice, but he still is going to be really good quarterback. Without question. And we'd be lucky to have him. But he's not going to be, you know, setting fantasy records each week like he was last year. And I really wish Kirby was here for this part because he made that outrageous claim that North Carolina State was the was the best defense in the ACC and South Carolina yeah. just controlled that game. I think this points. weekend will definitely show that, yeah, our Florida State's offense absolutely sputtered, but our defense was uh, incredible. They looked amazing. And NC State did good against the run. I won't say they did too bad, but, you know, they, they, they certainly aren't the best defense in the ACC, and I think this week showed it with with Florida State really shutting down Bama for the most part of that game. Yeah, it was good. And then, I mean, we've got some other ones here. Um, you know, we've got Auburn, although that was a, an easier game. Um, that They had some interesting – they had Cam uh, Petway sit right before the game. If that screwed anyone over, um, it screwed us over as well. So you're not alone. Yeah, and then, and then of course, Kerry Ann Johnson gets injured. Cam oh, yeah. Martin steps up. The other Cam, uh, Jared Stidham, is not as um, – good as some people expected him maybe um so there was a lot to take away from that game and we'll see how Auburn responds next week when they play Clemson which I'm I'm probably more excited about that game next week than any game maybe except yeah, for that's maybe good. South Carolina that's going to be the game, game of the week Auburn. I think without question Auburn Clemson is is going to be an incredible one it, it's either it's going to be a boat race or it's going to be right down to the wire and I'm excited to hopefully Petway's back that way each team's at 100% I mean not really Ron said he is so okay, start that they won't have carry on Johnson so we'll see how uh, uh, Cam is able to step up there Cam uh, and Cam so we'll see how they do um, but yeah and, I think it's going to be a hell of a game yeah, and then to round out the games, we have Texas, Maryland, and uh, if you're playing against Texas every week, you should probably, you know, uh, start start whoever their opposing running back <laughs> is, like we did last year. That is probably a winning strategy because they look exactly how they did under Charlie Strong. They spent a lot of money to look the same, in my opinion. And, if Kirby was here, this would be great because we could laugh at him. Which but, is one is the um, most fun thing, you know. Each year, I I'm one of I'm not big on the Texas train. I'm really not. But this year, I I'm it's harder for me to be lower on teams usually than I am with Maryland. I just have zero faith in them. I don't like them from the time they were in the ACC and then they left. Um, and so I expected Texas to win, maybe not convincingly, but to win. And watching this game, my jaw just kept dropping lower and lower and lower. Especially seeing how the game started with Texas uh, Texas looking. Uh, pretty pretty good, um, and then just falling apart. You know, I've always been partial to Maryland because of DJ Durkins, their coach, and he was the uh, defensive coordinator of Florida for a while, and I think he actually coached our bowl game when we fired Muschamp, and we got, we got the win, I believe, against Eastern Carolina, maybe. So I, I've been partial to him, and with, with Ty Johnson is, I don't know why he's not getting more carries, uh, to average uh, over 10 yards a carry on as many carries as he has is, is pretty incredible, so that's mind-boggling to me. Well, yeah, we'll see if they keep splitting it like this, but that is that is an extremely strong stat against Texas defense or not. That is impressive. And his last year, too, I think he had, like, 70 carries or, like, 700 yards or something like that. It's mind-boggling how he doesn't have more carries. Um, but the, the USF situation um, with their running backs, are they gonna, uh, is Dearness Johnson that injured? He left the game, and it looked like it was kind of serious, but he walked off. Uh, Darius Tice is a lot better. Quinn Flowers did not look that great. 
again. Flowers oh. actually looked so not great that we've already started having rumblings within our leagues from people who own Flowers and maybe didn't quite get as deep at quarterback as they thought they needed to or didn't need to having Flowers that are looking to trade now. So Flowers not only look, has looked bad two weeks in a row, but people are starting to look to get that extra quarterback depth just of how bad he's looked. Yeah, the, the fire Charlie Strongs aren't going to be satirical soon. Um, and and yeah, that, that was me. For everyone who saw the fire Charlie Strong tweet, that was me. Um, and at first I pulled back and said, okay, it was just a bad first half. But no, I'm right back on it, and I'm riding that till the end of the season. I, I think Stony Brook. Quinn Flowers looked bad against Stony Brook. Of all schools, season. it's miserable. I was watching the game with my brother-in-law. He's like, what division are they in? Like, well, He'd never heard of Stony Brook, and so I'm trying to explain it to him. I'm like, yeah, this game should not be going this way. Yeah, their only notoriety is beating LSU in the College World Series a few years ago. <laughs> but I, I think it's it's time for us to go on to um, Kirby put in a lot of work for this wave and wire write up, so and it's really good. So um, he did, and yeah. Team. So for everyone who understands, Kirby is somewhere out there in a desert. We're not allowed to explain his exact situation, but he is somewhere in the sand on a cot, and he put together this amazing write up uh, for waiver wire. What everyone should be targeting, um, looking for, and some really good gems here. Um, so we do want to give a big thanks to Kirby for putting this together because it's uh, it's a lot of work. So who do you want to start with? You want to start at the quarterback position? Yeah, I think we go down the list. Um, we're starting out with the must-grabs at each position. All right, why don't you lead us off, and then I'll jump in on you. Okay, so the first um, is Tyler Huntley, who me and Kirby talked about last week, and we were pretty high on because Troy Taylor and um, Kyle Whittingham announced him as a starting quarterback, and he did exactly how we expected him to. He ran more than we expected him to, honestly. He had two rushing touchdowns, 18 rushes. Um Maybe didn't throw it quite as much, and we expect that to change going into the Pac-12 um, schedule. So, if you have Darren Carrington, that's probably going to be good news for you. Hell yeah! Um, Carrington did great. He had over half of his passing yards, uh, 120 reception yards. Tyler Huntley had 227 passing yards, but really solid quarterback. And especially if you can get him in the dynasty league, he's going to be there for a while. And, and it's going to get better, and that offense is going to hum like a bird at the end of the year. So I am really on the Tyler Huntley bandwagon. Yeah, he. he I, I was not as high simply because I thought I, you know, I had my quarterback set. I was going to be fine, so I didn't pay him as much mind as I should have. But seeing the game he had, seeing some other games, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high in it. I, I think he's only going to get better. That was his first collegiate start, so he's going to get better. He's going to improve as he gets more time under the system. Um, so I think he could be someone who's really big, um, and even more so really in Dynasty. If you have the ability and you have to, uh, the chance to keep him for next year, he's a, he's a must-grab for me. Speaking of which, in that same one, I'll start this off with saying I pegged this guy wrong. I pegged the entire team wrong. It's only week one, so I'm not hoping I was actually right because they have more fantasy relevance if I was wrong. Um, but Ross Bowers from Cal. Prior to the season, I did not understand exactly what Cal was going to do. New coach, new quarterback, new almost everything, um, and a lot of defensively-minded people coming in. So I was not all that high in them. Um, had I started Ross Bowers this week in my redraft league, I would have won. So he had a, basically the only surprise here for everyone else um, was the fact that he did not target Demetrius Robertson as much as everyone thought. Um, he had some other wide receivers that were going um, and, but he put up some great stats. He was 24 for 38, 363 passing yards, four touchdowns. He did have two interceptions and uh, give up a sack, 
but I mean, it was just a, a great showing for him. Um, and, you know, he got the starting job at the last minute, so I think he's someone who, again, should improve throughout the year. We'll see how it comes once they get new um, conference play, but he, he's another must-grab. If you have the room for him, definitely take him. Yeah, and 15 yards of completion is pretty good, especially if they start throwing it more. Um, this is going to be an offense that throws the ball a lot, and hopefully they'll be successful when they have a couple of fantasy-relevant receivers. Bowers, it's going to be fun to watch them, and you know that Arizona State game. We can all hope that they 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 break some records, like it usually happens against Arizona State. Yeah, well, yeah, they have the worst pass defense ever. So if you ever have a team who's or quarterback who is passing against Arizona State, it's usually a must start for us, one hundred percent, without question. And uh, now we're going to go into the uh, must grab running backs. All right, so first what we're going to lead off with is Trey Bryant from Nebraska. Um, so he had an, an easy game. It's not like they were playing a really tough opponent. They played Arkansas State. They're not terrible. Um, but the, really, the big thing that stands out here isn't so much his total stats, which were 192 yards and a touchdown. Those are eye-popping for anyone. But it was the fact that he had 31 rushes. Um, so anytime you're going to get a running back who touches the ball that much is getting a lion's share, even if he's not that great or the team's not that great, he's going to be pretty valuable. Um, so Nebraska here, they did struggle with Arkansas State. So again, this is one of those cautious optimism things. If he keeps getting 31 rushes per game, no matter who they're playing short of Alabama, he's going to put up points and he's going to be solid for you every week. If they're playing a lesser opponent uh, like an Arkansas State or another out-of-conference foe or a weak conference foe, he's going to be a must-start a lot of the time. So, you know, last year, not all that impressive. Last week's game was, was pretty awesome. Yeah, I have a rule, and that is if a running back gets 30 touches, he's going to be fancy goal, which is what Kirby wrote here. So I'm glad he put that in words for me to repeat, because that's exactly what I think when it comes to Trey Bryant. I'm not overly sold on him as a talent, but you get 30 rushes, and I don't care who you are. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, we move on to Corey Taylor, who I will give you and Kirby all the credit for. Yes. You guys called him early. Yes. Um. He looked so much better than D'Angelo Brewer, I can't put it into words. Um, I think Brewer had 1.5 yards of carry, which is, is really mind-boggling considering he had a great year last year. But Corey Taylor seems to fit into that James Flanders role. Hopefully he can continue that. And if you picked him up on our account, I am very happy for you because I expect that to go forward where he's going to get you 25 points, maybe 30-point games pretty consistently. Yeah, and that's I'm I'm the biggest Corey Taylor fan in the world, as you guys know already. Um, I'm waiting to see what happens this week. Was it did Brewer have the flu? You know, did he have pneumonia? What was his deal? If he outshines him again this week, for me, Taylor's is a must start in my fantasy uh, dynasty. Excuse me, my dynasty league as well as my redraft uh, for the rest of time. So I'm super high on him. Um, and which leads me into the next guy, um, J.K. Dobbins or Throbin Dobbin. So he is someone who we had a couple of guys in our leagues pick up early. He had some great camp talk about him. Then we heard that Weber had a hamstring issue. So he went pretty fast. I mean, he 
what was it? Meyer was saying that he picked up the offense faster than any freshman in history um, on the team. So everyone. I think it was the offensive coordinator, but yeah, the sentiment's the same. Okay, okay. So the offensive coordinator, which for me honestly is even better than the head coach saying it. Yeah, the offensive coordinator. Meyer's coach speak all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he got the start because Weber was hurt. He went for 29 rushes in his first game, and I was waiting for him to break that 200-yard mark, but they held him a little short. He got 181 yards. Um, he did also have two receptions for 24 yards. Um, and the only argument I've heard right now against him is, well, it was Indiana. They're not that good. Indiana has a solid defense. I don't care who you are, what you're saying. They are not a slump team anymore. They may have been in the past, um, but anyone rushing for 181 yards against Indiana is no joke. Um, the only question we have now, however, is if Weber, if and when Weber gets healthy, is he going to get 29 rushes in a game? The odds are probably not. Um, my opinion, though, there, Josh, I don't know about you, is I, I think he keeps the job. How do you have a guy go for 181 yards against a conference team um, and sit him or not pl- give him 20-plus rushes in a game? Yeah, if, if Ezekiel Elliott was still there, I could see it, but Mike Weber is not him, and he's not ever really impressed me. And J.K. Dobbins seems way more developed than an 18-year-old. I know me and Kirby, you know, we, we like to see how running backs um, – how skilled they are in certain aspects of the game, whether they have vision, whether they have patience, whether they have um, one cut and go moves, or if they can uh, shake shake defenders off on the outside. But with J.K. Dobbins, he has the best jump cut I've ever seen on a freshman. It is polished. It looks like he's an NFL running back, honestly. I, I mean, I don't know how they put him on the bench ever, um, but I guess they have to give Mike Weber some touches, but I still think they've about 20 carries a game. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to get some rest, obviously. He's also not the biggest guy, not saying you have to be in that position. Um, so they don't want him to get hurt. You know, they, if, if Weber is currently injured, they're not going to rush this guy 30 um, times a game just to prevent, keep him fresh, make sure he doesn't get hurt. Um, but I cannot imagine for the life of me him getting less than 20 touches a game from here on out. It would just, I wouldn't understand it. And if, and if you haven't dynasty, I mean, I'm really jealous of you because yeah. I, three years of this yeah. is going to be really something to watch. I thought I had something uh, like that with Akers, who I'm still extremely happy about, which Me? we'll talk on a bit. But Dobbins, I think, is on a whole other level. Okay, I'm going to go on to Rico Dowdle, who I have in our redraft league. Um, his, his stats weren't overly impressive, necessarily, but Kirby did point out that there was they were playing against a really good rush defense in NC State. They were eighth last year. And his, his yards per carry weren't impressive. He only had 12 rushes. He had, they used him in the passing game some. He had a long touchdown, and that's that's going to be nice. I think that they're going to lean on him going forward. And next week they play Missouri. So even if you're putting in a waiver wire for one week, Missouri struggled so badly on defense against Missouri State. I think Missouri State's running back had 120 yards on his first six carries. And it was one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen. So South Carolina should be able to put up as many points as they want. And Rico Dow is their best back. And even if he only gets 15 carries, I can't see him going for less than 100 yards. And I think he'll go for more than that. Yeah, the the defense they're going against is just absolutely miserable. So unless they were completely joking this past weekend, yeah, I would say he's one of the safest starts you can possibly have. And then you're going to have trade value. If you pick him up off a of waiver wire and he goes off, which he should, you're going to have trade value if you want to get him off your team, if you don't think he's going to do that going forward. Yep, yep. No, I think he, he's definitely a must-have. If he's available, he's not in any of my conferences or leagues, so 
Unfortunately, I can't do that. But one guy who is available in just about every conference I've seen um, is John Lovett out of Baylor. And that's because he is third on the list behind Terrence Williams um, and uh, Jamichael Hasty. So they both had injuries. John Lovett stepped in. Um, he had a very good game. He had uh, 14 rushes for 89 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, and what we we're hearing is that they're not going to have either of those other running backs for at least another month. So in the meantime, he should be the number one guy. He's going to be getting plenty of touches. The biggest thing you have to worry about is when you get to tougher teams. I mean, they played Liberty. Um, that how hard they struggled with Liberty, I again, my jaw was on the floor. So Liberty is one of the worst as it gets. It doesn't get much worse. So although he is there with the stats and the numbers, I'm a little more uh, opti- cautious on him than Kirby is. Um, so I would be a little wary. But if you need to get a running back, this guy is as good of a shot as any to potentially take off for the next month or so. Yeah, after Hasty went down on Saturday, he got almost every carry. I think one of the running back got one carry. And I believe he's the only scholarship back on the roster. I, wow. I think they talk about Blake Lynch coming back to running back, but they use, they need him on defense right now. They really need him on defense, apparently. But um, So, yeah, he's going to be their only option at running back, really. So he should get 20 touches a game. They're going to throw the ball a lot, probably, because they don't have any other options. And um, our, our other must-grab at running back is Zach Moss, who plays in that soon-to-be-prolific Utah offense. <laughs> um, you know, they ran it a lot more than I thought they would. 22 rushes, 128 yards, and a touchdown. They use him in the passing game. And it, I can't imagine they run Huntley 18 times a game going forward. That's, that's an insane amount for a quarterback. So they're going to have to give Zach Moss a few more carries. And so if he can get stay in that 20 to 25 range, then you're looking at a solid running back to almost every week. And you can't get much better than that on waiver wire. I like him a lot. Um, Snide's out for the year. They don't have too many other options at running back. So, you know, this is a, a must grab for sure. Yeah, you know, and if Huntley shows that he is, you know, serviceable with his legs, it's only going to open up those, those doors more for Moss. So, you know, I think they're going to have a give and take. You know, let Moss go, let Huntley go. I do hope for um, Carrington's sake, however, that they don't rush him, like you said, 18 times a game to make sure he doesn't get hurt. Yeah, especially when we have Darren Carrington. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, okay, those are the uh, we'll, must-grab we'll running run backs. Wide now. Yeah, let's hit wide receivers. Um, one of the, I guess not the biggest surprises, but it was a pretty big surprise based upon the opponent, uh, would be Simi Cobbs out of Indiana. Um, Westbrook went down pretty early. He hurt his knee. Doesn't look like he's coming back. And Simi Cobbs just exploded against one of the, what should be one of the top defenses in the nation uh, for 11 receptions for 149 yards and a touchdown. Um, and, I mean, those are crazy stats anywhere, let alone for a wide receiver in the Big Ten. So if you already have him, which he, I'm sure he went drafted just about everywhere, um, good for you. If he didn't, grab him right away because if you can do that on against Ohio State, you're going to put up silly, silly numbers against other teams. Yeah, and it was honestly like Lego just threw the ball in his general direction and he was able to grab everything. And it was more on his physicality and his strong hands and athleticism that he was making these plays. And it was fun to watch him 
Um, you don't get too many receivers that have that kind of imposing presence. That's what I like. You know, talking about him grabbing stuff and just coming down with it. Every time he touched that ball, if it was a fingertip or not, he came down with the ball. And it was really exciting to watch him. I agree. And so uh, another option we have here is Derek Willies from Texas Tech. Um, he should be owned in, in quite a few leagues, but there's a chance that he's not. Um, a lot of people obviously think Kiki QT is their go-to receiver, and a lot of people like Batson as well. I was leaning towards Willies being the number one receiver this year. Even though Kiki QT had a good game, I think it's possible at this point. Uh, Willies transferred in last season, and it was his first season in that offense, so... I think he had a learning curve, but he's physically the best receiver. And he had a great game. And I think last season you had Giles for most of the season be their wide receiver one with QT stepping in um, four or five games where he had really solid stats. I think that may be the case with Willies this year. But then again, Willies could also step into that Giles role. And if that happens, you're going to want him off the waivers, and I think it's worth the claim for sure. Yeah, you know, Texas Tech started out slow. Their numbers were a little bit pedestrian to start off with, but, uh, you know, Willie's really took off. So I think he's as good of a chance as any. And, you know, Texas Tech puts up so many points that even him and QT, they, they can both be extremely fantasy relevant. So there's no, if you have one, grab the other one. If you don't have either, grab whichever one you can. Yeah, that's a good, good bet right there. Yeah, and then and here's the next guy. You know, I drafted him in as many leagues as I possibly could, as silly as this is, although I still think I made out better in the trade. Um, I have Colin Johnson here from Texas. And we talked about, you know, Maryland put a hurting on them. They did score some points, though. Uh, and to me, as of right now, their running back situation seems pretty rough. Uh, but Colin Johnson was that one bright, shining star. Um, he had seven receptions, 125 yards, and a touchdown. Um, and one thing, you know, that Kirby did note as a Texas fan, um, the touchdown was in garbage time, but fantasy points don't care about when you score your touchdown. It just matters you got a touchdown. Um, so I do like the fact that, you know, they were still shooting out as hard as they could near the end of the game. Um, and Colin Johnson is without a question their number one receiving option. And against Big 12 defenses... Uh, he's he's going to put up points. He may not be your top wide receiver. This week he put up some 25 points. Um, he's going to be a, a really strong wide receiver, too, almost every week um, going forward. And, you know, uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe that Texas defense improves, so there could be a lot of garbage time for Texas. Well, <laughs> I don't yeah. know why they're not against him. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, that's the thing. Maryland, yes, they did well, especially on the ground. Um, they still don't have the best offense, though. When they start playing yeah, some big 12 teams... Not an offensive juggernaut, like yeah. when they play Oklahoma, per se. You took the words out of my mouth, yeah. They, they play Mayfield over at Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma State may be even crazier this year. Texas Tech, the amount of times they're going to have to throw to Johnson is just going to be nuts. So I, I think he's got real value for anyone out there. And this is somebody that I am high on. I, I probably will wait for him. To, to fall into free agency if I take a chance on him. It's Jackson Anthrop. Um, he They play two quarterbacks. I like David Blau, but, you know, there's a quarterback battle going on there. I still think he played well, but they have two quarterbacks. They both threw it to Anthrop more than anyone else. He had two touchdowns, seven receptions, 82 yards, and this was his first game. I think he was better than any receiver they had. What I'm concerned about, and I think Kirby brought this up as well, is they don't have any other receivers to really take the pressure off of him, so some teams might be able to game plan around him and shut him down. But they do have the five-star Notre Dame transfer, Corey Holmes, who 
who hopefully can step up his game, provide some relief, and open up that passing game a little bit more like we're used to seeing from Brom. And I think he's he's a free agent pickup, honestly. But if he falls into free agency, I would grab him because I think the upside is there and the talent is there. Yeah, you know, in that same vein, I know this is our, our must-grab waiver wire list, but I have this next guy in that in that same. If he's on there on wa- uh, free agency, grab him absolutely. I'm not sure if I'm willing to throw a waiver wire on him yet, um, but Bennett Skoronek from Northwestern, um, we have to o- officially say that it's, it's not confirmed forever, but it sure looks that way that the Nagel was bageled, um, and he did not really seem to be featured in that passing game, whereas Bennett did. Um, he had eight receptions for 123 yards. He didn't have a touchdown, but I'll take eight receptions for 123 yards from any of my wide receivers really any single week. Um, so if he's going to be the main beneficiary of Thorsten, He's going to absolutely be fantasy relevant, um, and he's someone that if you're weak on wide receiver, grab him right away. If he does manage to sneak into that free agency, absolutely pick him up as quick as you can. Yeah, this was uh, my first bageling experience that I wasn't a fan of, honestly. <laughs> Amen. Um, I, there's not a bagel I don't like except for Nagel now. I hope he proves me wrong. But Skoronek, um, I'm not sure if he's going to be the go-to receiver going forward. He did get eight receptions. But they threw it to eight different targets, yep. and I don't know. Justin Jackson was their second most um, targeted receiver, quote-unquote. So, you know, maybe Flynn can step his game up. I think that they're going to spread it around too much. So I wouldn't spin a waiver on him. I would wait for him in free agency if you do make that pickup. But beware that this is probably not somebody they can going to start next week. Yeah, yeah, it's a wait-and-see kind of thing. Exactly. All right. And, so, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, our, our last receiver is Darren Andrews, um, who, if Rosen can continue that second-half performance, would probably be a top-ten receiver. Um, I, I don't know what to say about him, honestly. That, that game was, was something else. He put up as good a res, um, receiving stats as anybody in the country, and almost all of them came in the second half. So if they can continue that, put a waiver claim. If he's, if he's, he's not in any of my leagues, but if he's there, he's – should be your first waiver claim. Um, good luck getting him. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I mean, good luck getting him. I'm not a huge fan of of UCLA with Mora. I just their offense is odd to me. You know, they hit sometimes, they don't always. So it's hard for me to be, you know, super high in UCLA players just because of how unpredictable they are. Um, but he always puts up some points, so he has more possibilities here than some of these other guys that we have no idea if he's going to be their number one. Um, Darren Andrews is going to be their number one for all intents and purposes, so he's definitely worth a shot, um, and he'll be good on anyone's roster. Yeah, and then their defense struggles. It's a common theme with defenses that struggle because they throw a lot, so hopefully UCLA doesn't fix that problem. Yeah, you know, and what amazes me, if you look at his stat lines, you know, he had 12 receptions basically all in the second half. Um, and this leads our, us into our, you know, must-grab tight end. If you guys play with a tight end, this is the only tight end that I've seen um, other than Adam Brenneman, um, who I was saying, oh, my gosh, you know, that is not only a valuable tight end, but that's a tight, uh, valuable at any position. Um, that's Caleb Wilson out of UCLA as well. So not only did Andrews have 12 receptions, but Wilson had 15 receptions and 203 yards. Um, so, obviously, this could be a one-and-done situation, but anytime you get 15 receptions, let alone 15 targets, I would love 15 targets on a wide receiver, um, let alone a tight end. So if you can get 
anyone to get you 203 yards on the ground in the air. Uh, if he can repeat even half of this performance a couple more times this year, he's going to be the most valuable tight end this season, hands down. And he's a sophomore, so if you have him in Dynasty, you're set. You know, there, there are some teams whose tight ends won't put up these kind of stats in a year. So, I mean, it's, you know, if you can get even close to this performance again, it's going to be so much better than the alternative that it might honestly be worth the waiver wire. Okay, so why don't we go from must-grab now um, to, if you have room, take a look at these guys, weigh it out on your own, and see if they're going to be valuable in, in your specific roster. Who do you want to start with? Um, I like a new Solomon, honestly. Um, like I said earlier, they're going to have to throw because they don't have any running backs left on the roster. Uh, a new Solomon can run it on the ground, and he proved to be an efficient enough passer to where he's dangerous. He's going to be going against Big 12 defenses. Um, he seems to have gotten over whatever was wrong with him at Arizona. He started out his career there, and he was really promising, and then he kind of had mental issues. I, mean, I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, he played well enough to where, again, it was against Liberty, but he played well enough to where maybe you can get over that and feel comfortable putting him on your roster and maybe starting him going forward. You know, for all the things with Anu Solomon, what he brings, he was solid. Um, then, like you said, he regressed, and now he had a good game. Um, for the only reason, I think, right now that I would love to have new Solomon on my team, I don't think I personally have room for him, so I'm not going to grab him. But I would like to have him on my roster just so when he does score a touchdown, I can sit and scream at the TV again and go, Anu! Just like I did in the past. So I'll take that any year to have one of those players with such a good name that you can scream it all day. So I might add him just for that fact. Yeah, and the other quarterback that I'll let you talk about has a great name as well. So That is, uh, see, this is one of those ones that, you know, I think I know how to pronounce it going into it. And then you see it on paper and you think, is it Shaz? Is it Chaz? I'm going to go with Chaz Surratt. Because if I named yeah, my kid that, yeah, Chaz Surratt, that's, that's what I'm going with. If I'm wrong, so be it, but it, that's how it's spelled. Um, you know, he took the quarterback job over from Brandon Harris, uh, which is not saying much in my opinion. Um, you know, and it was interesting to see that he put up some decent numbers. And going into the season, you if you looked at UNC's uh, spring practice reports, their fall practice reports, their offense looked like it was going to be an absolute abomination. But it wasn't as bad this week as I thought. So there is some potential there. If they can gel over the next couple of weeks, he may be someone that can you know bring some extra lift to your team if you one of your quarterbacks goes down. Yeah, when they put in Chaz and Michael Carter at running back, their offense seemed to find new life. Absolutely. And- I'm, I'm happy with that because I wanted Michael Carter to be good because I had looked at him and I put him on my roster at some point. So I'm glad that he kind of panned out so far. And I think they have to run him more in the future. Jordan Brown had a decent game receiving, so he'll definitely get some looks as well. But that offense was a lot better than I thought it would be. I know they were returning like nobody, basically. They lost almost their entire offense. So it, they'll probably gel as the year goes on, and that might be something that you want to keep an eye on, even if you don't want him on your roster. Definitely watch list him, and if Michael Carter's there, watch list him, and if Jordan Brown's there, watch list him. Absolutely. On this next one now, um, we are going to get into our must-grab running backs. Before we hit the first one, Josh, uh, can you just say those three special words I love to hear you say to me, in case anyone's out there, no, not I love you, but you were mm-hmm. right. Yeah, you were right. I was so wrong, and yes. I should know better Yes. Can you say it one more I time, and really that's it? Better. Just say it one more time for me. You were so right. Yes. All right. Say the name. Who do we got? Must grab running back. 
Okay, first I'll go with who I was talking about there, which is Arkel Neeson, which until uh-huh. his eighth carry of the game, he had negative rushing yards. Uh, and it's just, how do you have negative rushing yards in seven carries? I don't know how you do it. But he managed to find a way. Um, but his quote-unquote backup managed to put, I think, 110 yards on 20 carries. So he was much more effective. And I think he has to have a starting job going forward, given that. And as I said before, this is Red Lashley's offense now. They should run it a lot more and hopefully more effectively. So I think Hopkins is somebody to take. And I would be confident with him, you know, edging around that 20 points per game area. 18 is where I have him at. But if you want that on your roster, I can see people needing that. And I think you should pick him up. Yep. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm going to say the same thing I said about Newsom is that I think he's a spot starter in that I don't think you can start him every week. He plays some good defenses, but that performance he had this week was definitely impressive, um, especially for a UConn player. I'm not a fan of UConn in terms of their football abilities, so for him to show up like that, I'm hoping that he can make UConn fantasy relevant and, and you know do some good things week in and week out. And I hope I eat some crow if he puts up some big numbers against some strong defenses. Now let me throw a huge qualifier here. They played Holy Cross. Hey, there you Cross go. That's why I said good defenses. So I just want to I want to throw that out there. So don't think I'm guaranteeing this. This is just a pr- prediction based on what I think that they can do in Red Lashley's offense. We'll have to wait and see. Do not start him next week. <laughs> yes, he is. I would not put him on the sit start. I would definitely put him on the sit list um, until you can really you know take a look at what he's going to do. So do not start him like Josh said. Um, one guy who will have a you know an interesting season, who was another one last year was just a complete letdown, uh, was Quadre Allison from Pitt, and he took over the the first spot over the offseason. I think it was post spring. Um, he was in the number one spot. Um, we expected Moss to be in that spot, yet he was third on the depth chart, which surprised a lot of people, me included. Um, and then he really went off this this past weekend. He had uh, 91 yards, two touchdowns. Um, on 22 carries, so pretty good yards per carry. Um, then he also had 35 receiving yards, all five receptions. So they're getting him involved in both uh, both facets of the game. Um, so I, I thought this was way more impressive than any of the games that I thought he would have. Allison looks to be back to his freshman self. Yeah, I was surprised that he did. Um, well, I'm more surprised that he got so many touches. 27 touches is nothing to um, bat your eyes at, so... If you can keep that up, then you're going to have a lot more fantasy relevance than I assigned to him. I didn't even honestly think to take him because of that. But, you know, that's better than I thought. And um, somebody that I warned about when I talked about Ronald Jones maybe being overrated this year was Stephen Carr. Ronald Jones, probably not overrated. That was a fantastic game. He looked amazing. <laughs> yeah, he, he did great. Stephen Carr was the third back in the game, and I, I want to make that clear. But he looked Every bit as good as Ronald Jones did on his limited touches. He had 10 touches. He had, I think, 82 yards, and, um, or no, 92 yards, and, and two touchdowns. So great game for him. They'll get him involved more as the year goes along. Dynasty League could probably be owned. I would put him on the watch list. I wouldn't have him yet because I think Ronald Jones is going to be the workhorse because of how good he is. But they'll inch him along, and I think eventually towards the end of the year, he will be getting maybe 12, 13 carries a game. And I think that may be worth um, some spot starts down the road. 
I think the most telling part about his production wasn't the fact that, you know, he had a good amount of yards or he had two touchdowns. It was when he got them. And that, I thought for a little bit that USC was about to lose that game. So they didn't get him in in garbage time when he cleaned up with a big run or something like that. They were down and he started to get touches. So they were yeah. looking to see what can happen if we get the young guy in. So that does show that there is trust there. They didn't have enough trust to start him over Ronald Jones and I don't blame him. Um, but like like Josh was saying, as the, the the year progresses, I do think he's going to get more and more, and if he ends up being just as good as we think he, he is as of right now, he's going to eat more and more and more into Ronald Jones's uh, turf there, so it should be interesting to see how those two split it in, you know, week four, five, six, and seven. Yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for, and if I have Ronald Jones, I'm going to be weary later in the year of Stephen Carr coming on. That's my warning still. And if I have Stephen Carr, I'm going to be praying to every god out there that Ronald Jones breaks a kneecap. I mean... Yeah, I, I completely... <laughs> not to be that guy, but yeah, you're going to hope that not a permanent injury, but you're going to hope Carr ends up being that, that top guy, because that would be a huge fantasy back. Ronald Jones' girlfriend breaks up with him, and he has to take him once off of football. There you go. That's a little nicer than breaking his kneecap. All right, I, I like that better. <laughs> All right, so here's another one. I know if anyone wishes he was here right now, it is Kirby to talk about this next name, and that is Bradrick Shaw from Wisconsin. Um, I think all three of us were watching this game. We were all sitting there talking about it, and it was an interesting start. Everyone saw, you know, Wisconsin was down. They weren't looking all that great, um, but the guy they kept feeding over and over was Shaw. It wasn't Chris James like everyone expected. Um, and one of the things that I noted that they weren't getting these big chunk plays, but in traditional Wisconsin fashion, he just kept pounding away and getting the yards that he needed. Um, and you know, they had Jonathan Taylor in there. I think he's going to be really good one day. He did have like nine yards per carry. So that is saying something. Uh, but as of right now, Shaw does appear to be the workhorse. Um, so it should be interesting to see what he's able to do in that prolific Wisconsin rushing attack if he's able to start getting those big yardage uh, plays. Yeah, I think the Wisconsin um, running back situation is going to be a time split eventually between Shaw and Taylor. I think they both outplay Chris James by a long shot. Not even close. So, But they're going to get enough carries to where I think eventually they'll, and Shaw probably right away, they'll be fantasy relevant. And, you know, you're going to want to start them at least a few games. And so I can see him taking the roster spot, even though it's a timeshare. Wisconsin should be good enough on the, on the ground to where it works. And, you know, to, to say, you know, we actually practice what we preach. I currently have Taylor um, on my roster. Um, he didn't have a huge game this week, but I do not plan on letting him go. Um, I'm not going to put him on the free agent list, um, and I'm going to see where it goes. So hopefully he can keep going and he can take over a little bit more. You know, obviously way better yards per carry than Shaw, but he had a bit more garbage time in there. So if it, even if it's a 50-50 car, uh, split load, I'd be happy with that. That's a great flex option any day, any day of the week. You know, our next guy is somebody that I'm happy I am here to talk about because Kirby should be talking about him. Although, for the last two years, we have called the situation. Damian Harris is a better running back than both Carver. Me and Kirby were on this train when nobody else was on it at the beginning of last year, and people made fun of us and thought we were idiots, but Damian Harris is a better running back than both Carver. Both Carver had 15 carries for 40 yards, which they played four state, four state's a great defense. This is a terrible stat line. Damian Harris was a lot better, and as I said in our first podcast, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be where Damian Harris takes over for Bo Scarborough, at least the bulk of his carries, because how do you not? He's a better back. He gets more yards per carry. He's more explosive. 
unless Bo Scarborough has a hole, he's not going to do anything with the ball. If he has a hole, he's going to be dangerous because he's fast and strong, and he's not going to be taken down easily. But he's not making anything himself. And Damian Harris gives him that. He's better out of the backfield, too. So I think Damian Harris is going to steal the show, and he's going to be their number one running back and be worthy of starts most weeks. Yeah, you know, that is going to piss a lot of people off who drafted Bo early. Um, but I had Bo a lot lower than a lot of people, and I'm glad, glad I, I pretty much stayed away from him. Um, I, I agree. Now, obviously, you know, you had you guys were way earlier than me on this, uh, but Harris definitely looks to be the better back. He also had a blocked, what was it? Did he block the field goal or the punt against Yeah, Florida he State? blocked the punt, which is incredible. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Not only does Saban trust him to, you know, theoretically carry the load, I'm sure it'll still be a timeshare, but he's throwing him out there on special teams, so the guy is a genetic freak, um, and I, I think he's going to start pulling away from it more and more and more. All right, and then our final running back is someone near and dear to my heart. All aboard, the Gus bus is Gus Edwards out of Rutgers. So they played Washington this past weekend. He didn't have gaudy numbers. No one expected Rutgers to do much at all against Washington, but they really, in my opinion, they had a respectable game. Um, They kept it close for most of the game until Washington was able to just, you know, out-talent them with their reserves and rotate people in, whereas Rutgers just doesn't have that depth. Um, But Gus got 24 rushes um, against one of the hardest rush defenses out there. If he's going to have, like we've been saying, 20-plus touches a game, He's a viable fantasy option. Paul James was there at Rutgers, and he was great until he broke his leg for like the 14th time. Um, So next week, Gus plays Eastern Michigan. How you don't start someone with getting 20-plus touches against Eastern Michigan, to me, that's a no-brainer. If Unless someone's listening to this podcast and says, yeah, they said to hop on the Gus bus and they grabbed him, um, which a lot of people would question your sanity at that point, he's probably in the waiver wire or free agent list. You can probably get through waiver wire tonight or tomorrow, whenever it is, and still get him on free agent list. Um, but he is an easy must play this, this week, and I think he has the potential to really impress a lot of people. And Josh, you had a bold prediction on our Twitter the other day. What was that bold prediction? And it, it, I'm pretty sure it looks like it's coming right. Yeah, I said you'd have 250 carries this year, and people thought, I know you guys said that's that's outlandish, that's crazy, but he's on pace for more than that at this point, so I'm happy with how it's going. Yeah, you know, if he plays 12 games, and at 24 rushes per game, he's on track for 288, so, you know, if if they get even near that, if he doesn't miss any time, he's, he's going to outpace that, so I'm impressed with that that prediction. I did not think he would be able to get... Quite near that. I thought maybe 200, 180. I thought Martin might be able to steal a bit more than those, but it appears that he is the far and away number one back for Rutgers at this point. And Martin didn't look bad either. He, he did not as many carries. I think he had 13, but they ran the ball a lot, and Jerry Kill seems to really like Gus Edwards, and he, he doesn't seem to be going away from the idea that he's going to lead on him as his workhorse. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, and Kill has had some great running backs in the past, so if they're able to. You know, get that offensive line to gel a little bit more. Maybe play some teams that aren't quite as strong as Washington. Like this week, he, he's going to have some real good uh, relevancy. And on to our wide receivers, a guy that I like, I know Kirby likes a lot. He, he's, he's honestly a must-grab for me. It's Jonathan Johnson out of Missouri. Um, they do have Jamon Moore on the outside, who's probably more talented. But they've said that Jonathan Johnson is the best playmaker, and this offense also has Demaria Crockett, so it's not like they're short on playmakers at all. They say he's their most dynamic athlete, and they used him that way. He had a huge game, and it was against Missouri State, but 
they are going to have to throw the ball and score so much that I don't really think that is too relevant. And I think most teams will focus on Jamon Moore because he's probably more talented and more physically imposing with their top corners. So Jonathan Johnson benefits from having Jamon Moore outside of him. I think Drew Locke's going to probably have to throw it 40 times a game at minimum. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities there. And he's a guy that can take a slant 60, 70 yards. Yeah, he, what was that, the first play of the game? He went like 65 yards for a touchdown? Yeah, and you know, in our league, we have Jerome, who was who actually picked him up. I don't know, I've never even heard of the guy. But he picked him up, and, and right off the bat, you can tell that he got that one right. I feel, I'm pretty sure he drafted him, which surprised me even more. If he didn't draft him, he got him a long time ago, because I did not see it in the transaction list. I'm pretty sure Jerome called this one better than anybody. Um, and Jerome and I are not always the best of friends, so I will give him props on this one. I am damn impressed with this um, foresight on him, because he, he it looks like he's going to have a huge year. All right, and then here's one um, that's surprised me after we got the depth charts released, but if you had asked me in spring if this surprised me, it wouldn't have. Um, Des Fitzpatrick from Louisville, he was the you know, springtime hero. He had an amazing spring game, um, and then he was placed second on the depth chart when he came out, uh, was it pre- was it post-spring or no? It wasn't post-spring. It must have been... It was um, during fall camp. During fall camp. I think it was camp. there. Like, we put one roster. Yeah, so a lot of people I know either dropped him, got rid of him, um, or kind of laughed at everyone else and said, hey, he's second on the depth chart. What are you doing with him still? Um, but the guys who held out, much prop... Uh, you know... Awesome for you, because um, he had a really good game. Um, he's, I think, the most athletic wide receiver Louisville has. Um, and if he's able to have that connection with Lamar Jackson, who we know, like we keep saying, um, is going to be under center more, should be throwing it more, if he's that tall wide receiver who's going to get the goal line looks, um, he could end up being extremely relevant as the season continues. And they, they struggled on offense, and then they started looking his way. And I think that helped out. Their offense seemed to gel more later in the game when they were targeting him a lot. So, you know, definitely. I think he'll be taken in most leagues more than likely. But, you know, there's a chance that they dropped him when they saw the depth chart or whatever, and you can get him on the waiver wire, and that's a good pick. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so another guy here that really surprised me is DeMarcus Lodge. Now, I have A.J. Brown in our Dynasty League, and I was honestly higher on D.K. Metcalf, but he had been taken, and I wanted a chance at having Ole Miss's number one receiver, so I took A.J. Brown. But I assumed the other guy that had a chance was, was Van Jefferson, but DeMarcus Lodge appears to be that guy. He, he, they targeted him a lot. Um, Shea Patterson actually missed him a couple times, but I think he had about nine targets in the game. And Ole Miss is in a situation like Missouri where they're going to have to throw the ball a ton. And he benefits from having two great receivers outside of him. So you can have another Jonathan Johnson situation where teams are focused on stopping D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown and DeMarcus Lodge is open in the intermediate game game and, and can put up some respectable wide receiver, wide receiver three-worthy stats. But his game surprised me. I did not look at him at all, but... He's a guy that I would wait for in free agency that could fall through and could show up your receiver spots a little, and he should be pretty consistent getting five, six, seven catches a game. Yeah, which is great for any receiver, let alone you know someone just to sure up your receiver's strength. So that, that's a lot of potential receptions every single game. Um, another one who I was impressed with, not so much for, I mean, yes, he had a great game, but the if you look at the percentages here, is DJ Moore out of Maryland. Again, a weak Texas defense. Um, they only passed the ball a total of 15 times, which is amazing. Um, it, you'd think you're playing Georgia Tech. Um, but 
seven of the 12 completions that day against Texas were for more. Um, so he's far and away their, their top receiver. If they're going to have to pass 25 times in a game, which isn't unheard of, that's a pretty low amount still, um, his receptions could get up into the 10, 12, 13 area mark. Um, so he has some real potential there to, to be a really strong wide receiver for someone. Yeah, I'm not huge on the Maryland passing offense. Yeah. But, you know... You know, he's probably going to be respectable, and he, he's obviously their top target. So they're going to have to force in the ball, and if they want it as much as they, they did, they're going to have um, less focus from the defense on the passing game. So he's going to be open, and it's a respectable pickup, and I can understand waiting for free agency and beating him, but I, I don't think it's a bad idea. And moving on, we have the uh, the twin quote-unquote receivers from North Carolina State, Um Naheem Hines is, is honestly a running back who has wide receiver eligibility. So it's kind of a cheat, and if you can get him, that's that's going to be good for you. He, he gets a lot of carries as well as his receptions. And Kelvin Harmon, who had 10 catches, no touchdowns, but 10 catches is a lot. Um, not as much as Jalen Samuels, who had 15, which is, is crazy. You have two receivers on your team with, with more than 10, 10 receptions. But the stats for this game are nuts. Yeah. What's that? The, the stats from this game are just crazy. You know, just looking at it, like I told you before, Jalen Samuels um, w- with 15 receptions, and somehow he only ended up in our league with like 22 points. With you'd think 15 receptions, the guy's having 45 points, but yeah, I'll still take it. I'm not complaining. It's just you look at the stats. How many receptions were made in this game is out of this world. And will NC State throw it that much going forward? I, I don't know if they will. I had to play catch up to South Carolina, but. Yeah, I mean, these guys, they're definitely wait and sees, but Naheem Hines, I would definitely want my team. Kellen Harmon, I'm a little bit more iffy on. North Carolina State's had games in the past where the receivers get 10 receptions, and then, you know, they kind of die down for a couple weeks before they have another decent game. So I'm I'm a little bit colder on Kellen Harmon, but I think if, if you're struggling a receiver, it's not a bad look in free agency for him. Yep. You know, which and that's this next group here is if your waiver wires process um, by the time you hear this or whatever, maybe later on in the week, if you're just looking for a roster spot to fill, these are a few guys that you might just be able to throw on real quick. Um, the first one being, I, I think it's a it's a cheat. I'm not really a big fan of it, but at the same time, it's how Dynasty works. If you're able to get a leg up on someone, good for you. In our leagues, we don't allow it, so this wouldn't fly in our leagues, but most leagues it will. Um, Out of Auburn, if you pick up Will Hastings, um, he's probably going to be the top receiver for Auburn, and surprisingly enough, he used to be a kicker. So Fantrax actually has him listed as wide receiver or kicker eligibility. So as you know, most people are, if they're lucky, grabbing 10 points in a week from a kicker, let alone if you're getting it from a wide, the top wide receiver for a team. Um, so if you are able to exploit that weakness or that cheat, absolutely do it. Um, and if it's up for question, do it anyway and ask for forgiveness later. Yeah, and the next guy at wide receiver, we have Chris Flack, who I was really high on last year and definitely disappointed, but he seems to be um, Solomon's favorite target. And he had three receptions, one long touchdown. I think that He's got the talent to do that pretty consistently. Whether he will or not remains to be seen. But, you know, he's probably going to be a free agent. So I don't think it's a bad pickup. Wide receiver six or seven, I think he's a solid option there. Yeah, you know, you got that Baylor allure. Even though it's a new coach, new offense, it's worth a shot. 
And um, Kasim Hill, because Pigron left the game with the injury, I don't think that that's a bad pickup. They're going to have to throw it a little bit more with him because he, he, he is a bit better of a passer. But, you know, I don't think that's a bad option. I, I personally think if you're in the position to where you need Kasim Hill on your team in free agency, it's probably going to be a bad season. But... <laughs> Maybe he's better than I'm expecting in that offense. You could have a quarterback that produces pretty pretty consistently in some high points. We will see. Yeah, I'm not very high on him either. I know a few people out there, surprisingly, preseason were. I still don't think he's going to amount to much, but I'll, I'll happily eat that if he's good. You know, for everyone who has him, I hope he's good. I, I don't, and I don't plan on picking him up, but you never know. Why don't we hit the start sits right now, some, some big starts and sits, and then we can hit the graveyard to end out the show. Okay, I'll let you eat. All right, so with the sit-start, we touched on him before. Um, the first one I'm going to go with is Throbin Dobbin out of Ohio State. I, I think he's a must-play. We've had some discussion with a few different guys in our league that go both ways. Um, I think some of it may just be pure salt that they don't have him on their roster. Um, and with that said, I don't have him on my roster, and I do want him there. Um, so I think against Oklahoma, I, I, even if Weber is back in 100%, I think he gets at least 20 carries, um, and I think he really steals the number one position on Ohio State running backs after this week. So if I had him, I would start him without question. And I have him and I have our next guy who's Rico Dow. We talked about him before again. He's playing Missouri. He this is the kind of game where I'm like, there's no way this guy doesn't get less than two hundred yards rushing and it he'll probably end up with fifty with my luck. But <laughs> I am really high on this game. I'm so close to guaranteeing that he does hundred and fifty yards. I won't do it because I know better. But on paper, this is a must-start. I would agree, and that's that's. I hate being like, oh, it's a guarantee. Um, but that's as much of one as you're going to get based on one week of data right now, and that's the hard part. It's only week two, um, so on one week of data, it's a it's a guarantee. It's gold. We'll see how it plays out. Um, here's one again that is on paper, it should make total sense, but with some interesting developments at the end of the game, I've got Keith Ford here. Um, he's going against Nickel State. The problem being is that Starkle did get injured. Are they going to be able to move the ball enough to be able to put Keith Ford on the goal line for him to vulture all those touchdowns? With it being Nickel State, I I think he's a must-start. I don't see an issue. If you're a little weak at running back or you want to see... I mean, he put up 35 points this week. I I think he's he's gold. What do you think of Josh? Yeah, and I think the problem with Kellen Mond isn't can he move it against this, like, Nickel State. They're going to be able to move the ball. It's Kellen Mond runs the ball more than Starkle was a passer. So when Starkle was in the game, Ford and, and Travion... Each had, I think, Ford had 13 carries in the first half. Trayvon had 15. So they were running the ball a ton with Starkle in the game. With Kellen Mond in the game, he ran the ball more, and that kind of took away from them. So that's what I would worry about with Kellen Mond. Hopefully they go with Hubenak, which is the same thing to do. But against Nickel State, I can't see him not getting, you know, another 25-point game. All right, next we got um, we got Darius Tice. Josh and I have been pretty high on him. We grabbed him right before that first game while he was on free agency. Um, and like we mentioned, Dearness Johnson, uh, Dearness Johnson, excuse me, um, did appear to get injured this past game. And Tice has looked more impressive both weeks so far. So with a Flowers who doesn't look like Flowers, and then a potentially seriously injured Johnson um, against UConn, who 
in the past has had pretty good defenses. I think they're going to have to pound that ball pretty hard. Um, I'm not going to start him this week just because I think I have some better starts ahead of him. Um, but I think he's an easy start if he's on your roster, especially at the flex position. Yeah, it's definitely a good option. And uh, me and Kirby touched on this last week where um, last year's strong after Warren went down with an injury. Dante Foreman definitely became Dante Foreman after that. And he was getting 25, 30 carries a game. So maybe if, if De'Aaron Strong, we don't know how injured he is, but if he's out, it could be a situation where Darius Tyson getting 25 or 30 carries this game and maybe a couple games ahead. So I would... I would definitely start him if you need a running back three this week. How sweet would that be to have him turn into Foreman? Oh, my gosh. That's not even fair, honestly. I'm not even <laughs> close to it. But wouldn't be fair, honestly. That would be like just could. amazing. I My whole fantasy season, short of winning the league, would be they would be made right there. Okay, and our next guy is, is your favorite quarterback, um, William Greer. Um, Looked great this week. I don't know if he'll throw it that much this week against ECU. They'll probably be able to run it a lot more effectively. But he still should be able to make some big plays and put up some a lot of points. I like him a lot. I say start him. Um, we we had some feedback from some guys in our league questioning how good ECU is and if they can put up enough points or we will have to throw the ball. I don't think I worry about it. I think he's solid for at least 35 points. I would agree is that he's going to be at, at the minimum above average quarterback this week. Um, in one in my dynasty league, I have Greer and Crawford, and as of right now, I'm, I'm planning on starting the two of them. I think they're going to put up enough points to get more than enough at those two positions for me. Um, I've got Greer at at least 400 yards and four touchdowns. I had him at four. Yeah, I had him at 400 yards this past week. That was one of my bold predictions. And what did he fall short? Like 20 yards, 30 yards short. So if he was able to do it this week, I, I think ECU, he might be able to do that in a half and then sit. Not probably three quarters. Um, but yeah, I'm really high on Greer this week. I think that leads into Karan White pretty well, and I mean, we should go with some other receivers from that roster. But if he throws for 400 yards, Karan White's going to have a good game. Um, have you seen how bad ECU back. is right now? What was that? Have you seen how bad ECU is? Yeah, it's it's going to be ugly. It's, <laughs> it's not going to be a fair game. It's going to be like uh, Oklahoma State and Tulsa. I think they're going to have points all around. But, yeah. Him and Sills, I definitely start. I put Karan White on this list because I figured people would assume to start Sills. But I still like Karan White a lot, and I think he's going to have a really good game this week. All right, here's an interesting one. Another situation where you might be able to get away with playing two players from the same team. Um, and in my Dynasty League, I, as an FSU fan, obviously, I have Cam Akers and Jacques Patrick. And due to the fact that DeAndre Francois has torn his patellar tendon, he's out. We are now starting Blackman as our starting quarterback. We're against Louisiana Monroe. They are not exactly a top-tier opponent. We do have the you know the letdown after losing to Alabama. I think they're going to ease him into that quarterback role. He didn't actually take um, complete or even attempt to pass against Alabama after Francois went out. So I think they're going to lean on that ground game. And it's obvious that Jimbo's not just going to have a complete workhorse as of yet. They both got some touches in the game. I think you could get a, you definitely start Cam Akers. Um, Jacques Patrick, I think, is going to get enough regardless, especially as some goal lines. I think Cam Akers gets the yard. Jacques is going to be punching those touchdowns in. And knowing Jimbo, I think he's going to leave them in most of that game, and I think they're going to put a hurt on him. At least I hope so. And um, similar to that, Corey Taylor and D'Angelo Brewer um, playing U- University of Louisiana Lafayette. This should be 
the game where Tulsa can actually exert their will on offense, unlike they were able to do last last weekend. And I like both backs in this game. You know, I, I like both backs um, for the same reason. Is that I mean, obviously Taylor looked better last week, um, and then it could go either way. Still, the only fear I have with Taylor this week is that Brewer might be back to his normal self. So I'll wait to see if the flu passes or not. Um, if I had Brewer, I would probably start him again this week, to be honest. Yeah, I, I wouldn't feel bad. I would feel pretty confident starting Brewer this week. Yeah. He's going to get 20 to 25 carries. He's not going to only get 1.5 yards per carry. Agreed. So no matter what. I, I would start. I told you before the podcast I would sit Taylor in your situation. And in your situation, I would. I think you're running back yourself a bit. Corey Taylor is going to be a good play this week, so I would start him in most situations. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, if you have a flex spot or a running back two spot and you're not quite sure what to do, either way, Taylor's going to get his points. There's just no doubt in my mind. They're playing a pretty weak opponent, and they're going to put up points. All right, let's see. Next we've got, you know, here's an interesting one that I don't know where I sit on this right now. I really don't. I'm curious your thoughts. Justice Hill against South Alabama, and most people I think I would talk to would say, what are you talking about? He's one of the, the best running backs out there right now. He's, he's a great option at all weeks, and I think he's going to get his points. I do. Um, but we saw that Oklahoma State last week, per usual, they like to you know rotate some other guys in. So against such a weak opponent like South Alabama, are they going to give Hill eight to nine touches, let him get one touchdown in 60 yards, and then say, okay, let's rest you up for next week? Um, and that's a serious concern I have. He's in my roster. I'm not sure where I'm going. It's going to be something I'm going to have to think about really all week before I make my final decision. What do you think, Josh? Help me out. One of the most frustrating things about the Oklahoma State offense is that sometimes they're um, they, they're like bipolar. Some weeks they really run the ball heavy. Some weeks they pass the ball heavy. And you don't know what you're going to get whenever, whenever they play a different opponent. So I think you start Hill in this situation. I think he's good for about 15 carries. In South Alabama, that should be good for over 100 yards. It's a safe play. And in, even if he gets only 10 carries and they pull him out of the game, he's going to have a touchdown, probably a long touchdown run. So I think it's safe enough to where you're going to get your money's worth out of him. And he, he could have a 20-carry game because they, they pound the ball for the first half, and he has you know 30, 35 points. So I start him in this game because I think it's safe. But I can see people saying maybe he only gets 10 carries and he doesn't get a touchdown. So he's, we're going to start Corey Taylor. I can see it. So I, I am not jealous of the position that you're in this week. Yeah, I'm going to have to be flipping coins, and when I get the answer I don't like, flip it again and keep going until I get it figured out. And uh, next is somebody that I said would be in New York for the Heisman um, ceremony night. Stand by that. Trace McSorley against Pittsburgh. They will try to exact revenge. I do not like Pittsburgh's defense. I love Trace McSorley running the ball. I love him passing the ball. And I I, I think he's got to start in this game. I think he's good for 40 points. I think he, he's as close to a must-start for me in a position where they should want a team out of the building as you're going to get a cornerback. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I see more than anything, he's got the skill, they've got the, the offense versus a weaker defense. More, The biggest thing here, though, is the fact that the revenge factor, like you said, if they're able to score 500 points, they're going to score 500 points. Um, yeah. So they're going to play all four quarters, they're not going to stop, um, and they are just going to kill them as often as they can and score at will throughout the game. If Pittsburgh is able to pull some magic and keep it close, I'll be surprised. But with rivalry stuff like this, you never know. Um, for me, McSorley's a must-start without questioning it. 
Let's see. Uh, one of my guys now, we got Justin Herbert, who I stole from Josh in Dynasty this year. I got him on a uh, very, very uh, lucrative trade deal there, so props to me for that one. He's going to be playing Nebraska. Nebraska looked weak this week. Um, I'm going to say he's a must-start. He didn't do all that great this past week, but his first start under Taggart, um, I think he's going to be able to put up some big numbers against Nebraska. I'm a huge fan of Herbert, and some people are going to be wary on starting him because he didn't do that great last week. But I say forget last week. It's only one week. It's week one. Teams aren't going to go and reveal the whole offense. They're not going to put the quarterbacks in harm's way when they don't have to. I think that this is a must-start. I think he'll score probably 35, 40 points this game, and he's going to show what we expected to see out of him in Willie Taggart's offense. Who you got next? So Nick Wilson is playing Houston, and I will preface, preface this with the warning. Nick Wilson is the most injured player in NCAA football history. He's made a glass. So there is a really solid chance he will get injured on the first series. So if you start him, just expect it. Know that on paper this is a great start, but Nick Wilson is Nick Wilson, and he will probably get hurt. But with that said, he looked like his old self last week. He had eight carries for over 80 yards. They didn't need him to run that much, so they held him off. But he looked much better than J.J. Taylor, who is, is later on the list, but I'll get him out of the way now since I've already brought him up. I would sit J.J. Taylor until he can show that he can be the running back one that he's listed as, their co-starters. But he didn't show it last week, and Nick Wilson did. They're playing Houston. They should have to score more. Houston... Probably won't be as good on defense, so they're going to give up points. It's supposed to be a high-scoring game. I think Arizona's favored by one, and the, the uh, over-unders at 66, so should probably score about five or six touchdowns. And, and I like Nick Wilson this week a lot. If I'm wrong, I'm going to be wrong anyway just because of how much I dislike Nick Wilson in fantasy football. Um, I hate this play solely because it's Nick Wilson, and he has burned me so much. So I say sit him. Josh says start him. I have a feeling Josh is going to be right. The only thing that I think, hey, maybe I'm right in this instance, I think Houston's going to be playing uh, with a chip on their shoulder. They've obviously had some issues with Harvey. Um, so I, I do believe that um, if anyone's going to hurt Nick Wilson, it's going to be in this game this weekend. Um, speaking of injury, here's an interesting one. If you have Andy Isabella, he's a must-start beyond any questionable doubt. He has to be started. Um, he's a normal must-start most weeks, but this week is a different situation. It does look like Adam Brenneman got injured um, last week. We don't know how bad it is. Um, it, it could be serious. I, I mean, he could keep him out for, at this point, he, he looked pretty ginger coming off that field. Um, so Andy Isabella is going to benefit from that big time. He's going to be not only their number one, but really their only offensive option in the receiving game. Um, and they're also playing Old Dominion. Um, so I, I think that is a potential like 35-point game from a wide receiver if you have him. I must start. Yeah, I'm a really big fan of Andy, Andy Isabella, so I would... Unless I had a really good receiving core, I'd start him almost every week. But definitely now. He's he's in that wide receiver one range with if Brennan's out. And next we have uh, John Lovett, who's playing um, University of Texas San Antonio, who not known for their football prowess. Neither and is Liberty. That is very true. <laughs> but they did put up 45 points against Liberty. That and is they true. also had two running backs for at least a portion of that game. Now they have one. So you got to assume Lovett's going to get at least 20 carries. I'd agree. So 100 yards, two touchdowns, I think is the floor for him in this game. 
I would he's say he's a must start. I would agree. I, with the fact that they don't, he's the last scholarship running back. How you don't play him is beyond me. Yeah, because even if they're up, they can't sit him, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, and then here's one. I'm, I'm curious your opinion on this. Is I think he's a must-start solely because you're supposed to start your studs. There's no doubt about it. However, I was a little surprised at the how they split the reps up this past week. With playing the Chattanooga Mox of all teams, is Darius Geis going to be able to put up the numbers that the guys who drafted him were hoping for? Or are they going to let Williams you know, take over a little bit, give Geis his rest? No, you, you start Darius Geis without question. I agree. you got to start him, but carries. is he going to put up those numbers? Carries. It's going to be 100 yards, two touchdowns, probably. <laughs> I will say this, though. Daryl Williams this week, I think, outperforms Darius Geis. That's what I was asking. What exactly. Free agent. So you could spot start him. Great spot start. Okay. I, I love him this week. I, I think he definitely outscores the guys. I agree. All right, so again, that is our uh, start and sits. This week, if you ha- do have any questions, if you have other players beforehand, tweet us at CF Freaks, and we'll be able to give you some insight from all Josh, Kirby, and myself, Vaughn. Um, it will give you all three of our opinions, and you can take uh, best out of three. Um, or just go tell us to shove it. Let us know what you think. Um, and then after one of the craziest opening weekends um, I think I've ever seen in regards to fantasy production or lack thereof, Josh did mention a little bit earlier, um, we did want to begin a new week one player cemetery to discuss all the possible um, just total crapshoots that we all thought were sure bets for week one and did not come to it. So if you had any players who were not what you hoped for, you can say I'm right in line with us. I'll get us started. Flynn Nagel. Kyle Porter. DeAndre Francois. Nah, Jesus Harris. Dylan Mitchell. Steven Montez. Benny Snell. Nick Westbrook. Blake Lynch. Andy Davidson. Austin Allen. I know Kirby's going to disagree with this, but Demetrius Robinson. He sucked. Jimmy Williams. Tristan Jackson. Markel Jones. Jeffrey Mead. Arkeel Newsom. Jeremy Smith. L.J. Scott. Donovan Peoples-Jones. Raquel Armstead. Tyler Bonds. Jalen Green. Rodney Smith. James Butler. Jalen Kleski. Demario Richard. Chris Warren III. Jester Ria. Devin DuVernay. Chris James. Jamal Custis. J.J. Taylor. Tajan Lindsay. So sad. We barely knew you. You're now hitting the free agent list. Talk to you guys next week.